millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we're in for extra time. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. A week on from our discussions about white men making all the decisions in New Zealand rugby, we've had a bit of a reaction which can only be good. In the last seven days there has been a bit more information about how clubs and community sport may return, although the more that comes out the murkier the whole thing seems to get. While some of us are excited about the return of some of the top sports, the question remains, should they play at all as COVID-19 remains with us? I'm joined by regular contributors Hamish Bidwell and Wellington Pride rugby player Alice Soper and for the first time Ashley Stanley from the Locker Room News Organisation. Alice, uh, we'd better start with you following on from our chat last week. You certainly hit the news with your desire to find out what was just happening with the Farah Palmer Cup Women's Provincial Rugby Competition and I, um, I can see that you've had a few discussions since then. I, you know, How did that all go? It was a case of we were a single line in a press release, um, which was what wait and see, wait and see, and, and we'd already been waiting and, and wanting to see. So, yeah, to be honest with you, just got a bit fed up, so decided to ask a question. Didn't realise uh, necessarily <laughs> how far uh, that question would go, but yep, have had a conversation now with uh, Kate Sexton of um, NZR and. Yeah, they still can't give me a straight answer on, on when it is going to be um, going ahead, but they've given me a timeline for a decision. So uh, discussions are happening with um, provincial unions, um, with the Players Association um, and with the NZR, and apparently two weeks is the timeline that we've got here um, to wait and see and, and see what's going to come out of that discussion. The thing that irritates me is these outfits, and it extends to networks and that as well, they cloak themselves in women's sports when it suits them, and they all want to be woke yeah. and right on and promote yeah. things when it's hunky-dory. But the, when the rubber hits the road, they're nowhere. They don't even care. Do you know what I mean? Like, the England Cricket Board today, for instance, announced that their men's players are returning to training. Well, what about their women? Are, do they, are they not people too? Are they not cricketers as well? Like, uh. it's, this, it's, it's this assumption that if it's not men's sport, it's not real sport, or the feelings or the... The career path of these people doesn't count. It's just so insulting. But it would be fine if these people ignored female athletes across the board and never promoted them, never pretended that they were interested in them. But because they do, when they actually ignore them in cases like this, it's just so offensive. I just I get so tired of it, frankly. Definitely, Hamish, and that's what it feels like as a uh, as an athlete in the sport because you like, am I imagining this? It's like gaslighting. You're like, am I imagining this? Or like, did you guys? kind of act like you want us to be here now and, and you talk about promoting it and you make equity and equality and whatever else one of your core values. But we, like you say, when it comes to, uh, we're not hearing. And, and, and the thing about this is, like, if we just talk about the sequencing of announcements, like, I understand um, commercial and, and, and every aspect of that, but was there ever any doubt that a version of men's rugby was going to come back? Like, was that ever, you know, a, a question mark? Because... Yeah, as soon as we get the okay that sports are happening, 
does anybody think it's a surprise that you know men's sports are going to be happening? That's kind of taken as red. So that's not the story to me. The story is what's happening with the women's game because that's the part that's often you know, it's, it's last in, first out um, in terms of our approach. And the thing that just frustrates me about this is we've been here before. This 2010 was when uh, NZR was last under financial pressure and turned to the women and said, sorry, we're all making sacrifices. You know, they, they talk this false equivalence because they'll talk about how Jock Hobbs, you know, under 20s, um, New Zealand Māori and a few different other competitions will be suspended, you know, first 15 rugby, but uh, and then say, so that's why we also are asking you women to uh, to sacrifice as well and, and give up the Farah Palmer Cup. And it's like, this is not the same thing. That is the only uh, national provincial competition for women. It is the only step between club and international um, representation. So that is a key, like it's the only pathway we have. They do it because they have to put up with it. They don't, they don't want it. They do it because it's the right thing to do. They need to be seen to be having female rugby. They don't want it. It's an add-on. It's, that's why it's the first thing to go because their heart's not in it. They, they don't want to put their money where their mouth is. It's, it's just there to, to appease people like ourselves who moan and complain, but they, they don't want it clearly. But it's short-sighted because it's the only area of growth for them. If they didn't have women's rugby bumping up their numbers, participation, everything would be down. So it's it doesn't make any sense, actually, just strategically either from that standpoint. Do you feel like your conversations have been um, like they've been genuine with Kate Sexton since your blow-up? I have a lot of time for Kate. I know she does a lot for us in there, but it's the same issue with Farah Palmer on the board. It's one voice. It's one voice in a room full of uh, men and a room full of history of decisions not going our way as well. So it's it's a lot to be standing up against. Um, and I feel like their intention and the intention of Kate and her team is genuine and that they're talking about um, bringing things back. But when it comes to money, and that's ultimately what, you know, talks, because money, money is, is, is neither here nor there. We're all going to make a loss this year. You know, like New Zealand rugby is not going to make any money, um, but we are, you know, we were like, oh, but we have to save money um, from this part of the competition. Our competition is so cheap, man. We're like the cheapest thing. So, like, why are you trying to say, like, why are you trying to save money by cutting our stuff? Like, we cost nothing anyway, like, in terms of their spreadsheet. So, the idea of, like, money being the reason, it's like, money is just uh, the, the quantifiable priorities. Like, that's all it is. It's just showing you what your priorities are, because ain't nobody making any money in sports right now. I haven't even got as as hyped on this as I could. At the moment, it's really just been my voice that is out there. But if we need to, I can push button on this and we can get a lot more people involved. Um, and then it just becomes politically too uh, dangerous for NZR to be saying that, uh, you know, that, that that's not something that they're going to put money into. Because everybody loves the Blackburns, man. They're a great product. They're a fantastic role models for our sport. Like, they are the future of rugby. And so, you know, you can't be can't be uh, cutting that off at this point. Your average black fern is on the payroll and they have to be really careful about how they cloak their arguments uh. or comments. They, they, they're not in a position like yourself to speak freely. They, they're beholden to the, to the union because they've, for the first time, been on sort of full-time contracts. And to jeopardise those by saying, hey, this is how we actually feel would be, from their point of view, slightly counterproductive. So they're, they're actually hamstrung. It's a in that respect, in terms of winning the PR battle, it's a clever move by NZR to, to, to sign them up and, and have them sort of 
under their auspices. Ashley, you, uh, through your career, must have come up against uh, inequality and, and the likes. So in just in this recent time and the, and the COVID-19 that we're going through at the moment and various sports that are now uh, not running, I suppose this, um, in a way, highlights just the issue that women's sport has had. COVID-19 is bringing out more than just women's sport and the inequalities and inequities that our, our whole system has had, to be honest. Um, I mean, I work obviously for Locker Room and we talk is about women in sport, but you could change out the topic and subject and you could easily insert anything else, um, races, races and sexism, yeah. anything, um, and it will be the same issue. So I don't think it's unique to women in sport. It's just that, like Alice has been saying, it's, it's, um, it's just a lot more clearer now that COVID-19 has unfortunately, you know, come about. So... Uh, I hope that we do. Um, you know, there's been a lot of people calling in the media for a whole system overhaul, mm. and I might. And you know, we're we're hoping that that could be the case. But you know, I probably hear on the caution side, like like Alice and Hamish, and that you know, if the people are making the decisions are the same people that were there, you know, pre-COVID-19. I'm not sure if you're really going to get that much of a change. But if you push the way that Alice is. Um, then hopefully we do get something out of it um, that does look a little bit more equal. Um, so, you know, you can, you can only hope, Gary. And if we uh, just talk about, uh, you know, there are sports that are just about to come back at the Bundesliga actually starts this weekend. Should they, though, be coming back, Ashley? I mean, you, you keep hearing from the government and uh, the health ministry and, and the likes about, uh, you know, and I heard this morning that this, this could linger on forever. We may never get rid of COVID-19. What, what are your feelings about whether this where sport is, just, is coming back too soon? And, you know, this argument that we have to get sport back. I feel like they're actually probably best thought well ahead in that being you know, the start date for mid to late June for the professional leagues anyway, um, well in our main two codes, you know, with netball and rugby. Um, so I think they've actually done it in the sense that what they'll happen is come May 25th, even though community sport has been um, on level two where they haven't actually been allowed to say that they're going to be playing, I feel like they're going to get to May 25th. And with our numbers going the way that they are, I mean, we've got three days in a row with no, you know, no new cases. And also, um, what's it called, that... We're, we're, we're declining, like we're pretty much going to be going from I reckon level two to level one and I feel like at that stage they will have community sport um, um, being able to be able to play, be played again. So I think what they've done is, clever is, and they've pushed out the professional leagues to mid to late June and actually given themselves enough time to say come May 25, they're actually going to say community sport will go ahead. So I think they'll all t- go off together. Um, it's just that at the moment it just feels a bit stink because, like, you know, Alison have been saying, you have professional people and athletes knowing what they're going to be doing, but what about all of our grassroots, you know, our parents, our kids that are also itching to get back on the fields and netball courts, but um, they'll just have to wait probably a couple more weeks to try and, and probably also get the green light, so... I feel like they've done it. She's timed it well, pretty much similar how she introduced the level systems where they kind of have already predicted that we probably will come out of level two, um, but they just can't obviously announce that yet. 
that, you know, we talk about the amateur and the professional game and, and often everything is in service of the professional game and the piece that misses is the amateur because you can't have a strong professional game without a strong amateur league. Like, this is where the talent comes from. In order to get your way up and get into the paycheck and get into that professional league, that's where it comes from. It's the same with junior sport. Little athletes become grown-up athletes. They, you know, and so they learn that love of the game early and, the, and if we're getting them into sport and that's something that they see as part of them, we want to keep people in there. We want to build those pathways. So I think it's really important, um, you know, and that's, I guess, another part of this conversation that's been frustrating me is that we have, uh, you know, all this conversation about the 30 that are on contracts, but that's very short-sighted. You know, what if there's injuries? What if there's, uh, what if there's you know, life events? What if there's different things that mean that that particular group is, where, if you don't continue to invest in the amateur and the next level below, you're going to be caught short because you're not going to have built the next wave of talent to come in. Um, so professional sport the world over is resuming for one reason, and that's to pay players. Um, I was really hopeful that um, this crisis would lead to a, um, a, a rethink about player wages. Um, they're too high across the board in all codes, and the revenue models for every league and competition don't really work because they're paying players an exorbitant amount of money and they're not getting enough money coming in. So if we look at it, let's just say in a New Zealand context for rugby, um, we don't cut the cost of the people who are making a fortune, a million dollars, 800,000, whatever, we, we, we trim community rugby, we trim women's rugby, we trim the lower levels. We never take, make the people making all the money and actually bankrupting the organisation in the process. We never make them take a financial haircut. We, mm. we, 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 we penalise people further down the chain. And so that model doesn't work. And I thought this would be the perfect circumstance for organisations and codes to say to their players, look, these are, these are hard times. We, we appreciate that we've promised you all this money, but in fairness, to get back on our feet, we need you to, to, to take, a, take, take a pay cut and to, and to sort of be in this with us together. But it seems that players haven't wanted to do that. They've wanted to maintain the high levels of wages that they were on, and so they've left it to codes to come back too early, to push um, boundaries in terms of putting people in harm's way to get sport being played, or they've asked them to, to, to cut costs lower down to, to maintain their their um, their high wages. And I just think that's inherently unfair, and it's not a sustainable model anyway. New Zealand rugby was going broke, was broke before COVID because of the money it was paying players to stay in New Zealand. If you don't address that, you're going to continue to have the same problem, pandemic or not. So I think that's the fundamental problem that codes should have addressed during this period and haven't, and that's, that's going to be an ongoing problem for them. Can I just uh, uh, mention perhaps, uh, Hamish, do you think that you know, there's a feeling that the grassroots will always be there and they'll bounce back because kids always want something to do, so perhaps we can circumnavigate yes, our way that's around why, them. That's why in the McKinsey report that NZR commissioned and was published in February, that's why at all grades beyond first 15 rugby, they were going 10 aside. They did not have the numbers to sustain 15 aside rugby with subs. They weren't going to be able to do it because of the decline in playing participation. So let's think about that. Let's try and address that. Let's try and get that part of the game, that, that part of the pyramid strong again. But they weren't going to do that. They were just going to cut their cloth and say, oh, well, no one wants to play. Let's go 10 aside. That's, how is that sustainable? How is that helping the game? It's all very well. It might pay your superstar players this week and maybe for next week and maybe five years to come. But it's, at, at the end of that five years, where are your players coming from? It's so short-sighted, but it's all to keep 
our top tier of players happy and in the country. I just think it's an absurd way to do your business. You know, around um, advocacy, though, within this conversation, because let's look at who are the advocates for sport. They're ones that are negotiating contracts for players. So, you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Rob and the team at the New Zealand Rugby Players Association, but they're always going to be focused on money because that's their job. And so if we're talking about who are the loud voices, who are the advocates, the people that you defer to to be speaking for players are the ones that are involved with the contract. And, and it, I don't believe in trickle-down economics anyway, but I sure as heck don't believe in trickle-down sports. And there's a frustration that I've had where we, we now look at the fact that you know some new, of our players in New Zealand are contracted, and that's supposed to be making me as a player feel good, which, you know, it doesn't. I was talking to um, Kate about this when I had the call with her, saying, look, I actually don't care if I ever get paid, but wouldn't it be amazing if and rather than you know being paid like a professional athlete, I had all the resources of a professional athlete. So I got to have the training, the coaching, the nutrition, all those parts around me. Make me into the athlete before you try and pay me like one. Um, so I just think that we, 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 we look at the wrong things because that's as well. Like if they invested in that instead of trying to pay that 30 players, if instead of trying to pay that 30, they instead invested into putting us into programs that were more professional, our game would improve as well. Our game isn't improving by paying 30 people. Our game would improve if we invested and making sure that the the environment that we're uh, we're training in, the environment that we're playing in, if that was better, that would develop our game. Yeah, the pathways are definitely need to be firmed up a lot better. I mean, Hamish and Alice have hit it on the head, basically, is that when your foundation isn't strong, you know, you can't grow players from that. And I mean, like, mm. I'm only... I'm not actually a player like Alice. I tried to play. It didn't quite work. I dislocated my shoulder in my first game. Um, but what I can say about the rugby pipeline in New Zealand is I've just done my master's thesis on it. And it was it was on our men's, our boys' rugby academies. It wasn't on a women's because when I asked, there wasn't actually a women's academy mm-hmm. in place two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, everyone knows the pathway is already set. Even the players know that you know there are certain markers that you have to get throughout the New Zealand rugby pipeline to try and get to a higher honours. So if that is the only pathway that we're doing, and I mean North Harbour was exactly, they knew it. Research has already shown all of this, is that the pathways are already set. So if you don't make that, we, we, lose, we lose athletes, we lose participants. So... They do, you know, everyone has the research to suggest that you need to actually look after your grassroots. That's what mm-hmm. the Alice and Hamish are really saying. Like, if you don't look after them, then you're not going to have anyone at the top or you're not going to have mm. people who are potentially the best. And that's what mm. we want because we want to watch some people who are who are putting in the best. But, you know, like, it's hard to, because it's a slog, it's like a long-term investment similar to the women's sports game. Do you want to fund? You don't. Do you want to fund like grassroots rugby, or do you want to just put in the markers where everyone knows the clear kind of pathway to where you have to go? Um, and that's the that's always the hard issue in the balancing act that the that the you know administrators have to think about. But I think Alice did mention when I did speak to her is that there are people on the ground that are doing stuff. You know, there there are we can rally together on the ground to try and make a difference. And I mean, yeah. I think that's probably going to be. One of the biggest things coming out of COVID-19 is that maybe clubs and parents and supporters and people, I think they're already doing it anyway. Like if you go down to a local club mm-hmm. any time on a Saturday, it runs smoothly. And and I don't want to be like biased or anything, but it usually runs smoothly by women. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and, and you know, so they've got a really good system in place. It's just trying to, I think, similar to what Alison's doing, is amplify, amplifying it and making it more collective. Um, so, you know, again, we've got oh, we've got these opportunities, and it's good well that we talk about them. We just we, we kind of have to put in it probably at a grassroots level as well because you do need teams from both ends. You know, we all got to help each other. I'd just like to uh, quickly touch on something that Hamish mentioned, uh, where are some of the players coming from? Well, some of them are now coming back from... Europe. I, I have some sympathy for some NPC players that may have been looking to get a Super Rugby contract because, you know, Sam Whitelock signed with the Crusaders, Nehem Ilnaskata with uh, the Highlanders, Julian Sarvera has just said uh, he'd like to come back and play for the Hurricanes again. So things have dried up overseas, Hamish, uh, as far as contracts and rugby is concerned, and some of these guys are now thinking, oh, well, I can probably earn a few bucks back in New Zealand. Yeah, well, aside from the safety issues in terms of living in a place that's not, you know, being drastically affected by a pandemic. You have an English premiership, for instance, they've got real wage issues and they've just had a big report commission which was published yesterday um, about the unsustainability of that competition. And I understand these guys, you know, their wives and their kids want to come home, I understand they want to come home and all that kind of stuff. But actually I don't, I wouldn't contract them, do you know what I mean? I just think it's, let's take about some of these guys individually. Sam, like he's contracted to New Zealand rugby to 2023. So he was always going to have a soft landing when he came back from his Japanese sabbatical. He was coming back. It was just a question of when, but you know, Ben Smith, I don't, he, he's had his time. He can go. Julian Savi hasn't played a good game since 2015. He was a terrible burden on the Hurricanes at 800,000 a year. Um, a real distraction. Couldn't get in the team. Didn't justify a place in the team. Was a sulker. Was unprofessional. You don't want that guy in your environment. Nehem Scud, a lovely fella. Hardly put a lace the boots since 2015. Shoulder injury after shoulder injury. Hasn't played for 18 months off the top of my head. What's he going to contribute to the Hollanders? I'd say next to nothing. So I don't see the value in bringing these guys back. I understand why they want to come back, but they, include, they probably need to think about why they were wanting to go away in the first place. They wanted a big superannuation payday. The paydays may not be out there, and the grass isn't always that green. These guys have been on good wickets here. They're welcome to stay, but if they go, then we're under no obligation to welcome them back. Well, some uh, interesting comments there. Thank you, everyone. That is extra time for this week. Uh, many thanks to Hamish Bidwell and Alice Soper and our new contributor, Ashley Stanley, from The Locker Room. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at RNZ Sport or Alice on at Alice Soapbox. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.